as we go into Romans chapter 2, I believe this is one of the passages that kind of shows the divine writing of Scripture. Because if I, as a man, were writing a book, Romans chapter 2 would not be one that I would want to include in my human nature. Romans chapter 2 is best summed up in the two-word phrase, scathing rebuke. Paul is about to rebuke the Romans and the, the Jews around Rome for self-righteousness. But even as we read this rebuke and consider this rebuke, we will see the mercy and grace of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And as I often say to audiences, it's important to start here because only as we see the judgment of God can we then understand the true ramifications of the love of God. And even at that, it will take all of eternity, I'm quite certain, for us to understand the ramifications of that love. Let's open in a word of prayer real quick, and then we'll begin. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would give us judgment and discernment. We, we pray that you would help us through this hard passage of Scripture, that you would open uh, the, our, our spirit's eyes, that you would open the eyes of our soul so that we can learn that which you would have us to learn. And I pray this for myself as much as for any of my listeners. Thank you for using me as your vessel and continue to bless this time. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, my God and my Redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. So the name of my message today, again, is not very encouraging. I, I look for an encouraging title, but the name of the message today, if you're taking notes, is All Mankind Verdict Guilty. All Mankind Verdict Guilty. The first point that I want to talk about this morning is God's judgment and mercy are for everyone. And we'll, we'll see as we read these first ten verses just exactly that. Starting in verse 1 of Romans chapter 2. Therefore thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judges. For wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself. For thou that judges dost the same things. But we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them <coughs> which commit such things. And thinkest thou this, O man, that judges them which do such things and does the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God? 
or despiseth not the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long-suffering, not knowing the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. But after thy hardness and impertinent heart treasures up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to every man according to his deeds. To them who by patient continuance in well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality eternal life. But unto them that are contentious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish upon every soul of man that doeth evil, of the Jew first and also of the Gentile. But glory, honor, and peace to every man that worketh good, to the Jew first, and also to the Gentile. So this, this first point, I think Paul is trying to get across that everyone is included in these rebukes. And in the way that they can find redemption for their sins. Now, I, I, I find these, these passages a little difficult and for the reasons i already spoken, but also for this reason. One of the most popular verses in today's culture, whether Christian or non, is, is what? Does anybody know? Can anybody think about what I might be thinking about? Yes. Judge not that ye be not judged. Whenever somebody expounds biblical truth, and I've had this happen to me, people will come back with, judge not that ye be not judged. So when we're talking about um, not judging people, we're certainly not talking about surrendering the truth of God's word. If God says it's wrong, then as a preacher of the word of God, I have an obligation to say that it's wrong. But you know what? I have an even greater obligation to live like it's wrong. And so, as we say this, I think we fall into two categories a lot of times in this culture. We either are too hard on people, we pound on them like a hammer on a nail when all they needed was a little nudge. Or we avoid talking about sin altogether because that's judgmental. But the only way to get a cure for a problem is to know that you're sick. And the problem in our culture, even in our Christian culture often, is we're afraid to tell people that they're sick. And they say, I'm okay. And you're okay. Or the other side is, I'm not okay, you're not okay, and that's okay. And I've heard well-meaning 
Christian speakers say that, and there's a sense in which it is true, but there's a sense in which it isn't true. Because the word of God may meet you where you are. Jesus promises to meet you where you are. But his promise and his goal and his truth to every believer is that he will not leave you where you are. He's about changing us. And so for some of us, we're, we're all about the law, even though we claim grace. Because we don't just do what the scriptures say in Galatians, you who are spiritual, restore such an one with meekness and fear. We want to see something first. We want to see a performance, a consistent performance that proves they've repented. And yes, I guess there are certain contexts in which that's appropriate. But remember what Jesus said. He said, if your brother sins against you and seven times comes to you and asks forgiveness, then seven times you are to forgive him in one day. And Peter said, shall I forgive my brother seven times? And Jesus said, no, Peter. I tell you, 70 times seven. And then he clearly says that he's not counting because he says, if you don't forgive your brothers their trespasses, I will not forgive you. Of course, then we have the other crowd who kind of says, I can do whatever I want. And at the end of the day, I'll be okay with God because he's love. But Romans chapter 6 says to us, What shall we continue in sin? That grace may abound? God forbid. God forbid. Sometimes we don't take that seriously enough. I know I don't. God wants more for us. But he wants us to know that it's the goodness of God that brings us to repentance. You know, it, it, it boggles my mind sometimes, personally and collectively, that we have been forgiven every sin. Our sin has been taken as far away as the east is from the west. And yet, we turn to the guy next to us, and we say, remember what you did to me two weeks ago? I still think about it. My friends, if we are made in the image of God, and if we have the Holy Spirit of God, then we need to be praying to God to have his ability to forget. And it talks about how God, by forbearance and long-suffering, and the riches of his goodness, 
and given us redemption. Do you ever stop to contemplate that even the twelve, when Jesus was arrested, turned and fled? Well, I should say the eleven because Judas was already gone. And even Peter, who said, Lord, I will die for you. He still had no leg to stand on. Peter and Judas were actually very similar in some ways, but there's a very distinct difference between the two of them. Because one realized his mistake and turned to man to be absolved. Judas went back into the temple and he gave those alms back and he said, I can't take this, I'm betraying the innocent blood. Peter looked in the eyes of Jesus after he had betrayed him and went out and wept bitterly. And we know for sure that those were tears of repentance because later Jesus said, Go tell the disciples and Peter that I'm coming before you into Galilee. Why did Jesus do that? Because his purpose was the restoration of Peter. And this man who was impetuous, who God called an instrument of Satan to his face, would later be raised up by the power of the Holy Spirit and say, whether it be right in your eyes or no, judge you. But we can only speak of those things which we have seen and heard. Tradition tells us that Peter was crucified upside down and and Jesus kind of alludes to this because he says to Peter uh, someday people are going to stretch out your hands and lead you where you don't want to go because he's asking about about John and uh, you know he says does that mean John's gonna live forever and, and Peter said, and God, and Jesus says, don't worry about John. Worry about yourself. And I think that's what Paul's saying here. You are inaccusable. There's no excuse for what you do. And I think about how we, we rage against the world and we say, well, well, there shouldn't be homosexual marriage. And there shouldn't be abortion. 55 million babies should not be dead since 1973 by the legal consent of our government. And I'm 100% with you on that. But why is it that we as the church have at least a 30% divorce rate? Why are we not showing that when we join together in marriage, 
It means forever. And why do we as a church scratch our heads when people have more than five or six kids? Like it's some kind of problem, an epidemic to which there's a solution. The Bible says that God opens and closes the womb and that the fruit of the womb is his reward. And I think that until the church realizes that, we don't have very much say in the abortion debate. Because we may say that we love babies, that they shouldn't be killed, but are we showing that in the way we respond to children? Sorry, sometimes I get fired up. If we can look at a cross-reference quickly. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9. If somebody has that, if they could stand up and read it for us. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness. But is long suffering to us were not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God doesn't want anyone to die. You know, I used to think that God sent the unrighteous to hell. And over the past six months especially, it really struck me, God doesn't send anyone to hell. We choose to go there. You know, the, the part of the, the scripture that we read just a few moments ago said that God will judge us according to our deeds, and he will. And if you want to be judged according to your merit, that's your, that's your prerogative. You have a right to be judged according to your merit. But you're going to find out that it's not good enough. Me and all those in this room that have been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ, we have the best defense attorney there ever was in Jesus Christ. He's our advocate. And when we get to heaven and the devil tries to point his finger, Jesus is going to stand up and he's going to say, I paid for that. You can be included if you but trust him. The second point, we are all judged by the same standard. This is Romans 2, verses 11 to 20. For there is no respect of persons with God. For as many as have sinned without the law shall also perish without the law. And as many have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law. For not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. For when the Gentiles, which have the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, these, having not the law, are a law unto themselves, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience all bearing witness, and their thoughts the mean while accusing or excusing one another. In that day, 
when God shall judge the seekers of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel, behold, thou art called a Jew, and resteth in the law, and makest a boast of God, and knoweth his will, and approve the things that are more excellent, being instructed out of the law, and art confident that thou thyself art a guide of the blind, a light of them which are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, which has the form of knowledge and the truth of the law. See, there were these Jews in that time, and yet still today, who think that by following the law, they can be justified. But mankind has proven over and over again that we are not capable of keeping the law. In some ways, you would think that Peter would be the last person to deny knowing Christ. He was in the inner circle of Peter, James, and John. He walked with God. He, he did a lot of things with Jesus. He did a lot of things for Jesus. He walked on water to Jesus. He had seen that power. And yet Jesus says, Peter, Satan desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that when you are converted, you would strengthen your brethren. Was Peter's salvation in the law? No, it was in realizing that the law wasn't good enough. It was in realizing that the risen Savior could forgive him and not say, you are an idiot, when he rose from the dead. But instead, his first words were, peace be unto you. You see, before he went to the cross, he said, my peace I leave with you, not as the world gives give I unto you, And then the start of that fulfillment was his first words to his disciples when he said, Peace be unto you. You know, there's a lot of people that are confident in the law. There's a lot of people that say, I'm a pretty good person. But if you go down the Ten Commandments, How many of us can say that we never put God on the back burner? How many of us can say that we've never committed adultery by lusting after someone? How many of us can say that we never hated our brother without a cause and thus were guilty of murder? You see, when it comes to the thoughts and intentions of the heart, suddenly it's a whole different ballgame. Because it goes beyond the words and gets to the heart of the matter. And uh, he's basically saying, you're a blind 
guide to the blind. If you think that the law can be your salvation. The Apostle John puts it very candidly in, in 1 John 8 to 1 John 2 verse 2. If somebody can read that passage. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, not ours only, but also for the whole world. Could you continue reading through uh, chapter 2, verse 2? Could somebody read 1 John 1, 8 through chapter 2, verse 2? If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have no, not sin, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, these things are not unto you that we have not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. That almost needs no commentary because it's so clear. But just think about that. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And if we say we have no sin, we make God a liar. There's another place in Romans, and if you haven't gotten to it yet, you will as you go through this series, where Paul puts it this way. Let God be true and every man a liar. God is saying that if you believe the truth, then there's a remedy to your problem. But if you don't believe the truth, there's no remedy. He said to the Pharisees, I've come to call not the righteous, but sinners to repentance. You know, when I was a young kid, I used to think, well, that makes sense because the righteous are righteous. They, don't, they are already embracing Jesus as their Savior. But I realize that the context is he's talking to these Pharisees who think they've got it all taken care of. They're so good at the law that they decided to add a few more. That's why Jesus had to intercede and say, you know, uh, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. God gave us a day of rest because he cares for us. He knows that we'll need it after six days in the world. He should know a thing or two about rest, for he said, Come unto me, all ye who are weary and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. 
Do you really want to carry the yoke of the law that says if you're guilty in one point, you're guilty in all? Or do you want to carry the yoke of your Savior who says, look on me and be saved? Come into me, I am the door. By me if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. Why would you not want that? The third and final point is sin can't be overcome by good works. This is a big one because I think sometimes even we at times think, well, if I just do more good things, God will be more pleased with me. And I'm not saying good works are bad because it says in Romans chapter or in, in Ephesians chapter 2, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for works which he had foreordained that we should walk in them. So we're supposed to do good works, but good works are a result, not a requirement. Now, if the result of good works isn't happening, you better evaluate your faith in Christ. Because if you are a Christian, if you are a follower of Christ, good works can't help but spill out of you because good works spilled out of Jesus Christ. But there's no tally book in heaven that says if you do 50 good works or 500 good works or 5,000 good works, you'll be there. This is what Paul says. Finishing Romans chapter 2, we're reading from verses 21 to 29. Thou therefore which teachest another, teachest thou not thyself? Thou that preachest, a man should not steal, dost thou steal? Thou that saith, a man should not commit adultery, dost thou commit adultery? Thou that abhorrest idols, dost thou commit sacrilege? Thou that makest thy boast of the law, through breaking the law, dishonorest thou God? For the name of God is blasphemed among Gentiles, through you, as it is written. For circumcision very verily profiteth, if thou keep the law, but if thou be a breaker of the law, then circumcision is made uncircumcision. Therefore, if the uncircumcision keep the righteousness of the law, shall not his uncircumcision be counted for circumcision? And shall not uncircumcision, which is by, which is by nature, if it fulfill the law, judge thee, who by the letter and circumcision doth transgress the law? For he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision, which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew, which is one inwardly, and the circumcision, which is that of the heart and the spirit, and not in the leather, whose praise is not of men, but of God. You know, there was a story, and, and Jesus often spoke in, terms that made me believe that he was relating true stories because he would say a certain man or, or two men. So he might have known that this actually happened, but there's a story that's told. Two men walked up to the temple. One is a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. In the world's eyes, it was clear. And definitely in the Pharisee's eyes, it was clear who was righteous. He said, I, I fast twice a week. I give alms. I, I, give, I give everything I have. 
to the poor. But remember what Jesus said to the Pharisees about their gifts. He says, when you give your gift to God and you don't take care of your parents, you make what you do vain by the traditions of men. And then there was a tax collector who could not look up toward heaven, but beat his chest and said, Lord, be merciful unto me a sinner. Sometimes that should be a daily prayer of ours. And Jesus said that the tax collector went to his home justified. Because it's not the works you do. It says in, even in Genesis, even in the Old Testament, what does it say about Abraham? It says Abraham believed God. And it was accounted to him for righteousness. He believed God. God tells me that if I confess my sins, he is faithful and just to forgive my sins and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. And so I believe him. And I love him for it. If we could look very quickly as we close at 2 Corinthians 5, verses 17 to 21. 2 Corinthians 5, verses 17 to 21. I think this sums it up nicely. And as we continue on in Romans, you will see some of these same thoughts reiterated in Romans. Paul used a lot of the same messages because his mission was to preach Christ and him crucified. And the message of Christ never changes. 2 Corinthians 5, 17-21 Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. All things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation, to wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation, now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. I don't want us to miss the second part of that passage. We often quote 
the first part. We know it by heart. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. We, we know that in our heads. And we, we sometimes know that personally. But do we know that about others? Do we know that we're called to a ministry of reconciliation? Do we know that when we point out sin in someone's life, our motive should not be to say, I'm better than you. Our motive should be, I see you struggling. I don't want you to fail. So if need be, I'm going to pick you up and carry you for a while so that you can gain your strength. So that you can become the man or woman that God intended you to be. That is the main crux of my ministry, is to encourage the saints to walk worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yes, we need to speak loudly about sin. But once the sin has been dealt with, once the repentance has happened, we need to be about restoration. We need to be known less as the people that condemn sin when it's convenient for us and more about the people that show love where there's no love to be found otherwise. Paul said, forgetting those things which are behind, I press on toward the high calling of God, which is in Christ Jesus. And he said, I want to lay hold of that for which Christ laid hold on me. Paul only had the ability to exhort and encourage others because Christ had laid hold of him and changed him from the inside out. I'm here today before you because Christ did that for me. I'm not perfect. I'm still learning, still growing. I talk to people in their 80s and 90s, and they say the same thing. There's so much more to learn. I remember my dear brother, Sid Patton, who passed away about two years ago now. He would often tell me that, and he was in his 80s. And I would kind of scratch my head a little bit. I mean, I knew he wasn't perfect, but it was, it kind of, I kind of scratched my head a little bit that here you are in your mid-80s. And you're still struggling, but still striving. Yes, you may struggle, but let that encourage you to strive. Don't let it stifle you. Those are the choices. Either you can strive or you can be stifled and hampered. And for those who have not accepted the free gift of salvation, they can't understand anything else I've said tonight. Or today. Because it starts with a decision to follow Christ with your whole heart. And there will be battles, because even Paul said, I see another law at war within my members. 
And he said, the good that I would do, that I don't. And the, and, or, and the bad that I don't want to do, that I do. He understood what it was like to struggle. But he kept striving. You know, one thing that I see happening in, in the church today, and I'll close with this, is I see people struggling. But rather than continue to strive, some who are even prominent, have chosen to give up the struggle and say, I guess I was born that way. Yes, you were born that way in a sense. David said, in sin did my mother conceive me. That's why you need to be born again. Because the first birth wasn't good enough. So I plead with you earnestly, be born again. And if you are born again, keep striving. The Bible says the righteous man falleth seven times and yet rises up again. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these words. We pray that we would be ministers of reconciliation. We pray that our emphasis in life would not be about so much what they did wrong, what people did wrong, although it is important to deal with that. But that the emphasis in pointing that out would be to restore them as you have restored each of us. We pray this in Jesus' name and only for his glory and by his strength Amen.